Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Joseph H. Hellerman wrote a compelling book entitled, When the Church Was a Family. In the introduction, he writes about the emerging church. Hellerman explains, this phenomenon involves believers from a variety of denominational and theological traditions, and each emerging church is unique in one way or another. But one thing these communities share in common is the conviction that the kind of change God desires is so systemic in nature that it cannot occur within the context of traditional church structures and practices. Lest under any of you misunderstand Hellerman or myself, we are not advocating for a mass exodus, just to be clear, but rather a reimagining of the vision of Jesus. We've strayed. And people are leaving due to how we do church, how we have misappropriated the message. Many in this room have experienced the wrong ways of doing church and have been personally hurt and harmed by those actions. Personally, as a retired pastor's wife, I can share numerous stories of reasons not to be in a community of believers. And yet, I'm still here. I am here because of, call, of a call on my life, not unlike many of you in this room. And we've got feedback. Just talk louder. Talk louder? Yeah, talk louder. That'll overcome it? Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Okay. Um, I've been captured by the vision of humanity living together in loving relationships with Christ leading the way to not forsake the assembling of ourselves, but to gather together as we experience together a mystical reality of Christ among us. Today's reading is imparting to us the sacredness of our unity in Christ. Today's scripture is an invitation to awaken a perspective planted by Jesus and lived among the disciples and the early church. Before I elaborate on the sacredness of our unity in Christ, I feel a need to give the context of chapter 10. Bliss encouraged us greatly with his message last week and the reality of the cosmos hurling towards shalom. I just love that picture. He also shared of competing kingdoms of darkness and the family of God. This chapter is a holy commission. Many of us in this room and many of you will be given the opportunity to send your children into the world. All the time and energy taken to prepare our children to face adulthood is beautiful and exhausting. We all know the anger and the pride of launching. And I meant to say angst, not anger. But anger's in there too. (laughs) Just saying. It's in there too. But anyway, um, we know it's coming. We know it's on the horizon. And our child raising, we give all we have. Our knowledge, our wisdom, tools are shared, and then we let them go. I remember when Tom and I dropped off our oldest daughter, Nicole, to Azusa Pacific University in California. After we unpacked her belongings, had a meal, and departed, I remember looking in the rearview mirror with tears just streaming down my face. My heart was broken. 
Hers, on the other hand, was smiling and excited like, bye, Mom. She never shed a tear. I'm like, how dare you? (laughs) But anyway, I was so proud of her and proud that she was ready and hoping we had done well enough. Jesus was no different with his selected 12. It was time. He had trained them, spent time with them, and discipled them in the knowledge of God. He had taught them of another kingdom and family, not of blood, but of spirit. Not of human endeavors, but orchestrated by our Creator. These twelve were to be messengers for the good news of God's presence, of God's invitation, and an otherworldly connection. The disciples needed to have a foundation of reality as they ventured out. Jesus warned them of what was to come. It is a sober message. Jesus informs them that they will be a sheep among wolves, but they are to be wise as serpents. He exhorts them, exhorts them to be on guard. Their journey will entail charges brought before governors and kings of floggings and arrests. Experiences of great betrayal, including family members, the treachery of fathers and mothers and siblings, should not be a surprise. Children will even rebel against their believing parents and send them to their death. What a send-off. Jesus speaks of the hostility of this world due to one point of disagreement. Who is king? As these humble disciples are to go and share the good news of a loving God, they will meet many who are not in agreement, just as our society today. The people who do not accept or welcome Jesus will resist these missionaries that Jesus is sending. Yet in this preparatory talk, Jesus makes sure the disciples know that their real father, their heavenly parent, is with them. God sees and knows and is with them as they venture into the world that bears animosity toward God. They are not alone. They do not need to be afraid or anxious. They are in the care of God. Jesus then shifts the direction. The apostles are not entering a hopeless mission. They are creating a new family. A family built on the love of God. A family where true peace is lived within the realm of God's existence and grace. In spite of genetic family connections and desertions, another family awaits them. Blessed are those who welcome these disciples when they share the goodness of God. In verse 40, Jesus shares something quite profound. Whoever welcomes you, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. I'm going to read that again. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. In the times of Christ, in the early church, there was an accepted practice among the Jewish people. When a rabbi came to visit, great honor was given. Food would be prepared, rooms open for their rest, but also a respect and openness to hear what the rabbi was to say. The rabbi represented God, and therefore he carried a weightiness of God and a sacredness to the visit. When an envoy or messenger took the place of the rabbi, he too was to be received in the same way. It was as if the rabbi was actually present and not the messenger. Jesus is imparting the truth 
of the new family. Each disciple, and us as well, are priests of the Almighty One. In 1 Peter 2, it reads, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Not only are we like the rabbi, but far beyond any rabbi's role. We are part of a royal priesthood, and therefore to be greeted as such. We are aligned with the one true rabbi. To shed further light on the reality of our role, I will read part of a prayer that Jesus recorded. is recorded in John 17. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus, the one true rabbi, is declaring a new, bold reality. Those who accept the message of God's goodness and love are now one with God. The mystical union replaces our identity of self to a deep connection to the triune God and joins us with all who welcome Christ as well. We are inexplicably tied when we welcome the message of God somehow. We as disciples of God and priests in our own right are to be treated as if God is with us and among us because God actually is. God resides in each of us who have opened our hearts to the goodness of God. I mean, let's just pause a moment. This is really mind-bending. I mean, I find it so. I don't know if you do. I am in awe of this oneness that somehow I'm tied with God in a way that when I'm here, I'm presenting God to you and you are presenting God to me. It's profound. It's a mystery. And yet it's a privilege that we all get to be that to one another. I'm flabbergasted. When Jesus says, whoever welcomes you welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, we have an opportunity to actively and wholly receive the Holy One as we welcome each other in our greetings. What does this mean in this age? How might we respond to the reality of God with us, God among us? And then what does it mean to welcome each other with this mindset? Recently, Tom and I have experienced some of this welcome at All Souls. We're fairly new, about a year and a half we've been here now. But I've been deeply touched by some of the God with us people in this community. For those who do not know, Tom had a seizure a little, about a, a little over a month ago now. And it definitely got our attention. He's not allowed to drive for six months. And he's, one of the requirements is to take this anti-seizure medication. So he's lost some of his independence, as have I. Yet, in the midst of this trial... We have had numerous kind people offer to give Tom rides. There are many beautiful sisters and brothers in this place. It has been touching. But affirming of your faith and love for us as a family. 
And recently, our, our air quality has been quite pathetic. One of the reasons we moved here was to get away from this. Sorry. <laughs> but in it, people with asthma, you know, they have to go hide. They have to go inside. And so I've been hiding this week. And, um, but in it, I have experienced something in all my years of ministry I have never experienced in my life. I've had my sisters call me, Lori, are you okay? How you doing? And can I pick up Tom for you? Can I take him somewhere? Because I know you need to stay inside. I'm just like, wow. Wow. It's really beautiful. And I commend you all for it. So welcome is not just the doormat on our front porches, the cute flags in our yards. Welcome implies so much more in the family of God. With God as our parent, we are united in the realm of kingship and kinship. We are a holy people set apart to live a life that is unlike the world. We are called to love in ways that are not exhibited in our society, but very much a portrayal of God's family. Jesus even states in his prayer that our oneness on display is evidence of God and an opportunity for belief. This is the vision of Christ. Church as it was meant to be is a welcoming of, sharing of, and sacrificing of self for the well-being of all. The systemic overhaul required to embrace the vision of Christ requires a joined effort of reimagining. The sacredness of our oneness cannot be overemphasized. To cultivate the union we share in Christ, there is a work to be done. And I want to share a quote from Cyprian of Carthage. You cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. Granted, this was written during patriarchal times, but there's a point here I don't want us to miss. In the stereotyped placements of the past, father was the provider and the protector, and mother was the nurturer and the preparer. We're not there anymore, thank God. (laughs) But the church cannot exist without the nurturing power of relationship and pursuit of it. The family of God will not, cannot survive if we are not connected and welcomed for encouragement, for edification, for sharpening, for remembering, for love, for grace, for forgiveness, for service, for laughter, and all the rest and tangible exhibitions of the Spirit of God among us. We are fed, nourished, and revived when we open our hearts to each other. Oh my goodness, people, do we understand who we are? We are Christ among us. During the time of Christ, these weary and worn disciples needed rest, needed a break, needed a safe place. How sweet for them when the doors were open and arms held wide in acceptance and joy. Family members who sat and listened and shared in the beauty of the invitation to oneness. They opened their homes. What a contrast to the rejections of so many. Unless we forget, there is a reward given to the welcomers. They receive the same as the prophet or righteous person invited into their homes. All share the same blessing. I came across a blog this week, so expression, if I'm saying it right. But it reads, when you receive someone who comes from the Lord, you are receiving the Lord. 
Everyone is equal in the Lord. Those who are sent and those who receive, who's been sent. We all get the same reward. We are all on the same team. Our family status is one where all we are all recipients and givers of the good news. We are all priests, all possessing the image of God. Those who welcome anyone in the name of Christ and those who share in the name of Christ are family. This welcome is not just for a rest or meal. This welcome is an entanglement of the eternal reality of brothers and sisters who love God. This is the vision. The emerging phenomenon of the family of God is a revolutionary welcome that is foundational. It requires adjustment, change, and sacrifice. It requires leaning into the one who leads the charge. It is an incredible invitation. Soon we will share in the passing of the peace. I hope that we may greet each other with the reimagined perspective. I pray that we may inhabit the Jesus vision of who we are as brothers and sisters. Bliss spoke last week of relaxing into Jesus. I want to add, let's relax into one another. Shortly after we close our service, we will be sharing food. Well, we will be sharing food on some manner. <laughs> Those who didn't bring, we can share. Anyway, so in that, that's how families participate, right? We sit down, we share meals together. And what better way to listen, hear, and what better surroundings to share and be encouraged than over a meal with God's in our midst? We are told the world will know us. It will know us as we embody the beauty of the family of God. Dear, beautiful people, sisters and brothers of Christ, I am blessed to be with you, and you have blessed us incredibly. And I see Christ in you. Thank you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.